Do you sometimes wish you were in a slower group in life? I'm sure many of you wish that at some point in time. Maybe it's even now you wish you were in a slower group. But now that we've laughed just a little bit, let me ask a more serious question by way of introduction into this message. And that is, have you ever thought, prayed, or even said, as Elijah said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I've had enough. Just take my life. At one time or another, most people come to the place in life where they kind of just feel like this. They may not never ever express it, but they feel it inwardly. They feel like throwing up their hands in desperation and, and kind of saying to themselves or under their breath or just in their heart, I've had enough with this life. I can't go on anymore. I can't do this any longer, Lord. And perhaps there are some who even feel so down that they actually wish their life would end. And if that's how you're feeling this morning, listen, you're not alone. One of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament felt the same way. This guy by the name of Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, verse 4, it says this about Elijah. And he prayed that he might die. I don't know if you've ever prayed that or if you've ever thought that. I know a lot of people struggle with these feelings at some point in time in life. But as I read that, I, I just I love the realism of God's Word. As it talks about Elijah here in verse 4 of chapter 19. God kind of gives us here a picture uh, of the good, the bad, and the ugly of His servant. I like that. God's Word doesn't sugarcoat any of this for us. It's real, it's practical, and it speaks to some real needs in our lives even today. Elijah, if I make, uh, to set the background, the stage for you of what's taking place in this life, he's just won this incredible victory over King Ahab when he, he prayed down fire from heaven and he killed these uh, 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Now, if that was me, you would think that Elijah would be rejoicing in the Lord after experiencing such an awesome victory. But when we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's mountaintop experience that he just had in 1 Kings chapter 18 is followed by this black hole of despair. And God's question is the turning point in his life. God graciously comes to him. And he asked him this simple yet pointed and personal question. Elijah, what are you doing here? And it's the turning point in the story of Elijah's battle with discouragement and despair. Elijah, you could say he was maxed out in life. He was stressed out and he was burned out. He decided he's had enough and worst of all, he wanted to die. One writer, it's interesting, calls this Elijah's nervous breakdown. Perhaps you can relate. In other words, you could say it like this. Elijah is a prophet in the pits. And he desperately is in need of a God who cares. Elijah's life illustrates a somber truth for us. It's in your notes coming up on the screen. Notice this. And the truth is that even the most godly people get discouraged and even depressed. That is so true. Even the most godliest of people get discouraged and even depressed. But the good news is this. God is there to lift us out of the pits of despair. 
No one is exempt from times of discouragement and depression. Listen, discouragement and depression is not a matter of IQ. It's not a matter of age. It's not a matter of social class. You know what it really is? It's simply a matter of being human. The Bible tells, tells us in James chapter 5, verse 17, in the New Living Translation, that Elijah was as human as we are. What a great reminder that God's servants are just ordinary people like us, dealing with the same issues of life like us. In fact, some of the greatest people in history have struggled with feelings of discouragement and despair. But why is that? What causes discouragement? What leads us to the point of despair in our lives? Well, the life of Elijah teaches us that, number one, notice this coming up on the screen, that our circumstances can actually lead us to the point of despair. The circumstances in our life. When you study the events leading up to 1 Kings 19, it seems clear that three things have happened to Elijah to kind of bring him to this point of despair. These three things, they're very understandable. Uh, They go together and they can happen to any of us at any time. Notice this in your notes. Prime times were vulnerable to discouragement and despair, such as when we're physically exhausted. You're vulnerable to discouragement and despair. Number two, when we're emotionally drained. And the third time is when we are spiritually depleted. And this was certainly the case with Elijah in bringing him to his point of despair. Just consider with me for a moment Elijah's career as a prophet. It was one crisis after another. And now, in chapter 19, he is literally a man on the run. For years, Elijah had to live on the edge. He was a wanted man, a hunted man, considered by the king of Ahab to be public enemy number one. Furthermore, for many of those years, he had been roughing it in the wilderness, close to starvation. I know some of you like to camp out and rough it, and so that to you, that's not a big deal. But let me tell you, do it month after month, year after year, it grows weary. On the heels of that... He had had an unbelievable confrontation with the prophets of Baal. In fact, Elijah tells us two times that he's been very zealous for the Lord. Lord, I've been very zealous for you. You get the idea. Man, here's a man who's mentally and emotionally depleted. I've been zealous for you. He's drained. No wonder Elijah is at the end of his rope physically, emotionally, and spiritually. As the late Tom Landry, the the coach of the Dallas Cowboys used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Everyone has a limit. You've got your limit in life. I've got my limit. And it's a good thing to realize when you're getting close to the end of your rope before you're actually there. So the first truth we learn from Elijah is that our circumstances in life can actually lead us to this point of despair. The second truth we learn Number two is our choices can't lower us into the pits of despair, though. Understand, when we feel this onslaught of discouragement, the choices we make at that moment can either lower us into the pit of despair, or it can help us to overcome it, overcome our discouragement. Unfortunately for Elijah, as we study this chapter here, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, what you see is that Elijah made some choices that kind of just lowered him into that pit of despair. Notice how it begins in verses 1 and 2 again. Look at it with me one more time. 
And it says that, and Ahab told Jezebel. Now, if you don't know who Jezebel is, just think of the evilest queen in all the world. And you've got a picture of Jezebel. And it says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets of, what prophets? The prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Basically, here's what Jezebel is saying through a messenger to Elijah. Check your watch, man of God, because by this time tomorrow, I'm going to slice you and dice you the same way you did to the prophets of Baal. I think it's the tomorrow part that probably got to Elijah. Because he runs for his life immediately after this messenger comes. Notice what it says in verse 3. And when he saw that, in other words, when he heard this messenger, saw this messenger, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Now, Elijah didn't just run down the street to hide. Don't think of it in that terms. He's not in a city here, running around the block and then just kind of hiding out in, in some house there. He is so scared and discouraged that he runs, get this, 120 miles to Beersheba. And the question is, why? Why would Elijah be so scared and so discouraged over one woman's death threat when he is just killed in chapter 18? How many prophets of Baal? 450. Well, you have to understand that after God's incredible demonstration on power on Mount Carmel over these prophets of Baal, Elijah expected everyone to just suddenly turn to God and begin to worship God. He expected King Ahab to do the same. And when that didn't happen, listen, all it took was Jezebel's death threat to send Elijah into a tailspin of discouragement. Now, just step back for a moment because you know what? That is normal, is it not? There's nothing extraordinary about this with Elijah. This is a normal part of life. That's to be expected in the Christian life. Things, have you figured it out, don't always go the way we hope, do they? More than that, people don't always respond like we expect. And so we're going to get discouraged at times. And what's important during those times is how we respond. Because how we respond is the difference between overcoming discouragement or sinking into the pits of despair. Now, what I want to do real quickly here is simply show you, through Elijah's foolish decisions, how he sank into the pits of despair. He made three foolish decisions, so we could kind of call this, here's three easy steps to get depressed. How to get depressed in three easy steps. Number one, find a place to be alone. Find a place to be alone. After running 120 miles, Elijah makes his first foolish decision in response to his discouragement. Notice the last phrase in verse 3. Look at it with me. Verse 3 says, And left his servant there. Now, if I may be so blunt, that was a dumb, dumb move on his part. But Elijah makes it worse. Notice what it says in verse 4. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. That was a big mistake because the one thing Elijah needed most was someone to encourage him. But instead, what does he do? He isolated himself in the desert. He sat under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Elijah should have stayed with his trusted servant. Listen, that's one of the best things he could have done. But it's interesting how human nature works, isn't it? When we get discouraged, what's the first thing that we tend to do? Well, if you're like me, we tend to isolate ourselves. And that's often the worst thing that we can do when we're feeling the onslaught of discouragement and despair coming over our lives. Have you noticed that discouraged people are often lonely people? One of the worst decisions we can make when we're discouraged is to shut out the thing we need most in life, and that is people. Listen, when we're discouraged, don't shut out the people who love you. Don't shut out the people who want to support you and the people who can give you a reality check. Because often when we're discouraged, our perception of reality is not accurate. We always think it's worse than what it really is. Step number two is to focus on the negative. Notice what the first phrase of verse 3 says. First phrase of verse 3 says, And when he saw, that is when Elijah saw. That's Elijah's fundamental problem. His eyes are on what? His eyes are off the Lord and they are now on his problems, on his circumstances. When he was on Mount Carmel, you know, all he could see was God. In the power of God. The 450 prophets of Baal didn't bother him one iota. The circumstances didn't matter. It, listen, it was Elijah and God. His, his attitude in chapter 18 was basically, hey, God plus one equals a majority. And that's all I need. But now, in his state of discouragement, all he can focus on is the negative. And so he runs for cover when one woman threatens his life. Listen, every one of us faces negative things and positive things. Who, I mean, who doesn't face negative circumstances in life? All of us do. And the way discouragement works is, is that you get really focused on the negative things. And before you know it, you take some little thing and you make it a big thing and you lose your grip on reality. And this is exactly what Elijah does when he sits down under this broom tree and he basically prays, it is enough. Lord, I can't take it anymore. Just take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, whoever said he had to be better than his father's? You ever wonder that? Because isn't that part of our discouragement too? We put expectations on ourselves that we think we have to live up to, that nobody has put on us, but we put them on ourselves. I got to be at this. I got to do this. I have to do this. And that's exactly what Elijah is doing here. He's comparing himself to his fathers. I got to live up to my fathers. That's the level. That's the standard. And God never gave it to him. Never put it on his life. God never told Elijah he had to be better than his fathers. And so later on, when Elijah was hiding in a cave, he actually tells God in verse 10, I alone am left. Was that true? That wasn't true. But that's what we think when we focus on the negative. Why? Because we lose touch with reality. At this moment, Elijah, you could say, he's filled with self-pity. 
In fact, he's having a one-person pity party under a broom tree. And he hasn't invited anybody to come and be part of the party. Step number three is to forget God's faithfulness. Forget God's faithfulness. Now understand, here's a man who has seen a few miracles in his life. If you read chapter 18, he is Saul. He just has seen some of the greatest demonstration of God's power in all of history. I mean, it wasn't like God had never come through for Elijah in some tough times. You almost want to say to Elijah, Dude, man, listen up. Wake up. Get a grip. God has never failed you, man. Why are you doubting him now? But that's what happens when we tend to forget God's faithfulness in our life. We do the same thing when we're discouraged. We forget how powerful God is. We forget how good God has been to us and how God never fails us. In the midst of his discouragement, Elijah made three foolish decisions. He found a place to be alone. He focused on the negative and he forgot God's faithfulness. And as a result... You know where Elijah found himself? In the pits of despair. Elijah is so depressed now that he sits under a broom tree and he basically prays that he might die. Now at this point in his life, Elijah, I would say, is in desperate need of a God who cares. Maybe you can identify with him just a little bit. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're feeling a little discouraged. Perhaps you've even responded the same way Elijah did. And now you're struggling with despair yourself. And you're kind of thinking in your own mind and in your own heart, man, that's what I need. I need a God who cares about me. And that's what we all need when we find ourselves in the pits of despair. We need a God who cares about us. And that's exactly what we find in God's question to Elijah. Which brings us to our third truth here. Notice it with me. Number three. God's care can lift us out of the pits of despair. There's no doubt about it. Elijah was in the pits of despair. He was worn, he was weary, and he was wasted. And yet in the midst of that dismal scene, we are given this refreshing glimpse of God's grace in his life. God met his servant in his desperate moment, right where he was at, and lifted him out of his despair. And it all begins with God's question. Look at it right here. God's question is God's care. And the question, as we already said, is, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's personal. It's pointed. But it's meant to change our behavior. It's meant to challenge us and confront us where we're at in life. It's a question of love. It's a question of grace. It's a question of concern that God asked Elijah. And folks, listen to me. God is still asking the same questions to us. What are you doing here? It's not so much a question of location as it's a question about your state of heart, your state of mind. What are you doing here? This loving question was the turning point in Elijah's life that lifted him out of the pits of despair. And instead of running from this question, because I don't know about you, when somebody asks questions, especially when we're in the discouraged, we're in despair, when questions are asked of us, what's our natural tendency? Whew! Put up barriers, right? 
put up a wall, become defensive. And you know what? That's just as true as when God asks us questions. When God asks us questions, we have a choice. We can let those questions sink into our hearts, and we can honestly go before God and answer those questions, or we can run from those questions. We can deny it. We can deny the possibility of it or why it's even happening and be in denial about our whole life. But these questions, when they're asked of us, we have a choice to either run or to respond. And thankfully, what we find in the rest of the chapter of 1 Kings 19 is that Elijah responds to God's question here. What are you doing here? And in his response to this question, God begins to tell him to do some things. And by obeying God and by following through on this God's question, and his care begins to lift him out of his discouragement, lift him out of his despair. So what I want to do in the remainder of our time is show you these things. What Elijah does, what God does for him, because it's the same things we need to do in response to God's question. What are you doing here? Notice this. Number one is to get up and take care of yourself physically. Now, why would this be part of God's care for Elijah? It actually begins earlier in the chapter. In verses 5 through 8. But why would this be part of God's care? Why would God care about our physical lives here? Because, think about it. Remember, Elijah had literally ran himself to the point of physical exhaustion. If you go back to the end of 1 Kings chapter 18, we're told that Elijah, and this is amazing, ran ahead of King Ahab's chariot from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. An incredible marathon of about 35 miles. Now, think of a chariot with a horse. It's going. Elijah's running ahead of it. You say, how do you do that? Supernatural power. 35 miles worth. Then he ran, as we already said, another 120 miles to Beersheba to evade Jezebel's death threat. And then he went a day's journey into the desert. No wonder this guy finally plopped down under a broom tree and just wanted to die. So notice God's first step in his recovery for Elijah in verses 5 through 8. Look what it says. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So Elijah arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God, which is where he is now. So how's that for some spiritual advice? God doesn't say, get up and pray. He doesn't say, get up and read the word. He doesn't say, get up and sing. What does the angel tell him to do? To get up and eat, sleep, and exercise. In other words, God tells Elijah to take care of your body. And so Elijah slept for two days. And then he ate some angel food cake. And then he exercised by walking to Mount Horeb. Listen, in all seriousness, one of the most spiritual things we can do is to take care of ourselves physically. Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Vance Havner, 
was fond of saying, if we do not come apart and rest a while, we will simply come apart. God's care for despair starts by taking care of your body. After all, it's really not your body, is it? It's the Holy Temple. It's the Holy Spirit's body. And we have a responsibility to take care of it. It's the only one we got. Number two is to get out and let God confront your fears and self-pity. Get out and let God confront your fears and self-pity. Notice what happens after Elijah walks to Mount Horeb in verse 9. Look at it with me. We're in 1 Kings 19, verse 9. It says, and there he went into a cave. This is Elijah. And he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's a good question. Because the last time we saw Elijah, he was winning this incredible victory on Mount Carmel. So what is he doing cowering in a cave hundred of miles away? So God lovingly confronts Elijah. Basically in this question, God is coming to him. And God is basically saying, so explain yourself, son. Listen, just a, a, previously, you were, you were my man up there on Mount Carmel facing down 450 false prophets. What are you doing now? God is graciously telling Elijah, listen, son, it's time to face up to your fears. It's time to, to face up to the reality of your self-pity. Notice Elijah's response in verse 10. Look what he says to the Lord. He says, listen, Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Listen, everything Elijah said there was true. Elijah has been very zealous for the Lord. The people had rejected God's covenant, and they did kill God's prophets. There is no exaggeration at all in what Isaiah is saying so far. But then notice what he says next in verse 10. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, just ponder on what those phra- that phrase there. Because in that phrase, you can just hear the self-pity. I alone am left. You know what? That wasn't true. That was not reality. And that's why Elijah needed an attitude adjustment. He is so far gone in self-pity that he actually thought he was the only righteous man left in Israel. In other words, nobody cares about me. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one doing God's work. Nobody else cares about the word of the Lord and God's work around here. And we tend to think the same thing in those moments. So let me stop and make a simple application about self-pity. Because self-pity is the enemy of spiritual growth. As long as you feel sorry for yourself, you'll make a thousand excuses for not facing your own problems. And you'll never climb out of the pits of despair. Self-pity, here's what's so bad about it. It will lie to you. It will exaggerate reality. And most of all, it will cultivate this victim mentality. And as long as you feel sorry for yourself, you will not choose to get better. As long as you blame others for your problems, you will choose not to get better. As long as you think you're alone and the only one who's endured any adversity in this world, you will choose not to get better. 
You will be stuck in the pits of despair until you stop making excuses and start taking responsibility. That's why we must get out and we must let God confront us in His grace and in His love and yet with His truth, confront our fears and our self-pity. And in His grace, begin to let God lift us out. Up and out of our despair. Number three, he continues. Because you say, man, how am I ever going to do that? Well, you've got to look up and draw close to God through his word and his spirit. Watch how God responded to Elijah's self-pity. God meets Elijah in his deepest despair, and he says in verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Basically, God is saying, son, listen to me. Come here for a moment. Come out of your cave and look up. Because I want to show you something. This is grace in action on behalf of our Lord. God doesn't rebuke Elijah. I love that about our Lord. You don't find an ounce of rebuke here from God to Elijah. People that are discouraged and despair, they don't need rebuke. They need encouragement, yet they need loving confrontation with the truth as well. But in loving grace... God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't ridicule him or condemn him. You know what God does? God just reveals himself to Elijah. What follows is amazing. It says in verse 11, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. So why does God put Elijah through this incredible demonstration of divine power? Basically, God is getting his man back in touch with spiritual reality. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. God wants Elijah to know that it's not the earthquakes It's not the fire or in the huge events of life where we most often encounter God, which is so ironic because what took place in chapter 18 was exactly that. Fire came down from heaven, and and God did this miraculous demonstration of power. And yet at this time in his life, that's not what Elijah needed the most. The Lord reveals himself to us in the still, small voice of his word in his spirit. Sometimes our problem is we want to see, we want to see the earthquake. We want to see the fire. In other words, we want the big demonstrations of God's power. We want the spectacular answer to prayer all the time. But God says, listen, that's not always where you're going to see me. Instead, God says, let me speak to you in the still small voice of my word, where it's just you and me in your bedroom, in the car, down in your basement, in the bathroom, wherever it is, and you're in my word, and you're letting me speak to you through the word in my spirit. That's where you're going to hear me. Remember, Elijah has just seen this incredible demonstration of God, and he was like, whatever. But then God whispered to him, it's me, Elijah. It's going to be okay. You can trust me. And that's what lifted Elijah out of his pit of despair. Number four, the second response here that we find Elijah doing 
is to go back and connect with other believers again. Go back and connect with other believers again. A large part of Elijah's despair was the result of thinking that he was all alone in this great big world of ours. Two times Elijah tells God in his self-pity, I alone am left. And so God's reply in verse 15 was direct and it was specific. Elijah, go back and get connected with people again. So God even reminds Elijah in verse 18, look what it says. Yet I have reserved how many men in Israel? 7,000. Is he the only one left doing ministry? No. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone in this journey of the Christian walk. Let me show you 7,000 other people who have stood up to the, to the, the false gods that are still following me and trusting me. And then God gave Elijah even a close friend, a ministry partner named Elisha to encourage him. Later on in the chapter, you see that in verses 19 through 21. So God has not designed us to live like Elijah lived. He's not designed us to live like hermits in a cave. God has designed us to live in community with one another. Folks, that is why the church is so important. That's why it's so important for us to be part of a church body. That's why being connected in a grow group is so vital, because that's where we receive personal encouragement and support, especially during times of our discouragement. How many have seen the movie Gladiator? Oh, it's an awesome movie. Great movie. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when Maximus says six words that are the key to victory when they're in the Roman Colosseum. And he's with some other slaves there, and they're getting ready to be hounded, and they have to fight. And Maximus says, if we stay together, we survive. If we stay together, we survive. Listen, one of the worst decisions you can make when you're discouraged or even depressed is to isolate yourself. More than ever, that's when we need to stay together with other believers. Number five, press on and continue to obey God and serve others. When God asked Elijah, what are you doing here, son? The honest answer was, nothing. I'm having a pity party. But Elijah was a prophet who was called to serve. And there was still ministry that needed to be done. Yes, God allowed Elijah a time to renew himself physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And there are times we all need, yes, short-term sabbaticals. But understand, this was not a never-ending break from his ministry. God expected Elijah to get back on his feet and continue serving. And that's exactly what you find Elijah doing with Elijah at the end of verse 21 and into the next three chapters of 1 Kings. Now let me make the application here to us. Every believer here this morning, if you profess to know Christ as your Savior... As a believer in Christ, all of us are called to serve one another. We are called to show Christ by loving others 
in serving others. That is non-negotiable. That is true for every one of us. And while it is also true that we all go through times of discouragement and we all need times to renew ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we may even suffer through times of despair where we need even outside help or whatever the case may be. But understand, one of the most vital aspects of God's care is to get our focus off of ourselves and onto others. And that comes through showing Christ by serving others and loving others. God's care always includes getting involved in other people's lives, serving them and loving them. Because without it, you know what I have found? It's just too easy to continue to do. Wallow in self-pity and focus on me. But something magically begins to happen. It's not magically, but it's supernaturally by the Spirit of God. When you begin to take your eyes and focus off you and begin to be serve others, show Christ by loving and serving somebody else, all of a sudden your perspective begins to change and God begins to do a work in you. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I'm not so discouraged anymore. What I thought was so bad isn't so bad. God is still who He says He is. God is still there. God is still powerful. God still is in control. And I'm still a child of God. I love this story. I love how real it is and how practical it is. This is one of my all-time favorite stories in all of God's Word. Because I can relate to this. And I'm sure many of you can relate to it. And so as we look at the life of Elijah, it's no surprise that his greatest victory and his greatest defeat, did you notice this, comes back to back. Elijah really does. He could have coined the phrase, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Because that's what you have in 1 Kings 18 and then in 1 Kings 19. Is it a sin to be discouraged? No. Is it a sin to be depressed? No. It's what you do when you're discouraged and depressed that matters. Yes, our circumstances can actually lead us to the point of despair. And yes, our choices that at that moment can lower us into the pits of despair. But remember this gracious and glorious truth. God's care can begin to lift us out. There's no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. If you're discouraged this morning, be encouraged. The Lord still loves you, and he has not forgotten you. And he lovingly offers you his care. But you must respond to God's caring question. What are you doing here, Bruce? What are you doing here, Bill? What are you doing here, Mike? What are you doing here, Betty? What are you doing here? And you put your name right there. And you let that question be personal to you. And as we come to this response time, and as the praise team sings, I challenge you to let God ask that question of you, and you insert your name right there. You're discouraged here this morning? 
let God know. He knows it already. Be honest with Him. Let God confront you. In fact, as we have our response time, there's some questions there for you to make it personal at the bottom of your notes. I would encourage you to do that. Let this message speak to you in a personal way. With your heads bowed, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for the story of Elijah here in 1 Kings 19. I thank you for how real it is. I thank you how it doesn't sugarcoat it. But Lord, we can identify with this. And Lord, we all experience times of discouragement and despair. And so perhaps there are those that are even feeling that this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through this question. And as the praise team sings, Lord, may, may we make this personal by kind of evaluating and answer those questions at the bottom of our notes. May you work on our hearts and may we speak, you speak to us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As the praise team sings, let me encourage you. Talk to God. Speak to God. Answer these questions. Evaluate honestly where you're at.